All right, welcome to the show. Today, our guest is James Shear with over 10 years of experience in content strategy. Today, he is the VP of growth at Codeless, where he's helped brands like Monday.com and Nextiva dominate their categories at a massive scale. James, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. We've uh, been back and forth on scheduling since you're in the UK, kind of half the world away. We were just talking about the relative weather differences in our locations, but we'll leave the, the boring weather talk out of this episode. All right. What caught my eye, uh, reading your bio, hearing about Codeless, some of the success you've had with your clients recently, you guys got early bird from zero to 75,000 unique visitors in less than a year. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a that's a wild one. You know, like those case studies that you're like, this is how all of our clients do every time. It's like, this is how one of our clients has done. And this is like the ideal. Um, most of our clients do more reasonably. Um, still success, but more reasonable success. Um, so they came on, they're at an early stage kind of fintech. They have an investment app. Um, and uh, they, you know, very competitive space. They were very early stage. They'd done the round of funding. They didn't have a blog when they came on. So we were working with them really from a you know blank canvas domain-wise and building up content from scratch. And uh, you know, it's always fun to get those kind of clients because they're coming, they're bought into the idea of content, but they're also like, you know, let's do this thing together rather than have us having to come in and work with existing content or existing processes that they already have in place. Um, and they were really comfortable and confident. Uh, with giving and handing that over. And from an agency perspective, um, I know it's scary for a lot of clients, but that's that's the best client who's like, if we see success, it'll be yours to claim. If we don't, it'll be yours. It'll be your fault. And I love that. You know, I love, I love the role of an agency to be held accountable, but also then to like be accountable for success, which is really exciting. Um, so we developed a, I, I run a um, kind of a pillar and post content strategy method, which we can talk about in depth if you'd like, but uh, is basically the idea of like we create, you know, we identify a few categories of content. Um, what, you know, what in general would your brand want to be found for? Um, we create pillars first and foremost that are highly competitive, high volume search terms that you, you know, if you were found for, that would be a massive win. And then we support those pillars um with kind of secondary content so lower volume lower competitiveness content uh lo less competitive content um and we are very you know very involved in the analytics side of things so we're looking at like okay which one of these categories is performing um the best uh after the three month period you know everything's indexed and live and starts ranking um and if that category starts doing well, you double down on it within in months kind of four, five, and six, and then uh, maybe you ramp up content production. Um, and that, you know, that strategy really, really worked for them. So it was identifying what is an achievable pillar? How can we support it? Let's make sure our internal linking is really strong. Let's, you know, take into serious consideration the back end side of things from an SEO perspective. Let's just, let's do everything that we know we need to from beginning, from the beginning, you know, let's do all the best practices really effectively. Let's invest as much as we need to. And let's see if the ideal way of doing this works, which is very rare to get that opportunity. Normally it's like, you can do this, this, and this, but we have this caveat where we have internal writers who are going to be doing something, or we have an existing SEO who, who built the content strategy that you're going to be executing, whatever. There was an opportunity to do something uh, from scratch and see if it worked. And uh, yeah, after 12 months, they saw 75,000 monthly visitors, um, which was a really exciting thing. And, you know, there was champagne. It was awesome. 
<laughs> that is awesome. And congratulations to the success. I'm glad that, uh, you know, they, they give credit where credit is due. You know, uh, we ran a UX agency for 10 years. Yeah. And so I've lived the agency life. And uh, even though we weren't in the content game, a lot of the same things ring true. And with clients you have, well, that sounds great. I really want to do it the right way. Unfortunately, we can only afford 25% of of best practices, yeah. right? And so let's start with, uh, you know, your your worst effort. Hopefully you can prove to us that uh, we can invest in doing things the right way. So it's awesome taking things uh, correctly from step one. So I imagine our audience is pretty familiar with uh, pillar and post uh, strategy, but what I love to do with our guests is get more into the specifics, right? Because I think on podcasts, we talk a lot about high level and mm. the strategies make sense, but I would love to know, okay, so you said, you look at analytics a lot. I really want to zoom in on how you look at analytics and what are kind of your expectations and time periods. So you said sure. you ramp things up in month four. So that sounds like you're looking at analytics for three months before you're re, uh, reassessing your investment strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we're talking about indexing your pillars first and foremost, getting those live early on, uh, which A, helps because you know it means that organically they're going to be generating their own backlinks. It also means that we can drive, and they did have early bird did have an investment in external backlinking, so they 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 had they had a backlinking agency as well. But those pillars are up first and foremost, and you create content and backlinks to support them, internal linking and external linking to, to support those pieces of content. Um, and you know that takes you know it takes a few weeks for them to be indexed correctly, and then it takes another six weeks realistically for them to see any kind of ranking position. And then all of the content that we create after the fact needs to also be indexed and also get, you know, any kind of ranking position in order for the value, the link juice, essentially the internal link juice to start being impactful. Um, so we're talking about three months, give or take for a time frame for, you know, that's the earliest that I would expect to see any kind of clear winner from a category or a pillar perspective. And... From an analytic perspective, I'm diving into, we use Ahrefs, but SEMrush models are all great. We use Ahrefs. Um, and I'm looking at the pillars to a certain extent. But in that first three months, I'm really paying close attention to the ranking positions of the support content. The reason for that is that uh, we think of SEO as a um, your domain ranks. And uh, the fact of the matter is that SEO works not just on a domain level. It works more on an individual URL level on a specific page level. So if I can get a specific page, a specific supporting piece of content to rank, then the value of its internal link is higher than if it doesn't rank. So what I care about from an analytic perspective is making sure that as soon as I have a ranking support piece of content, then that URL has priority internal links to my pillar pieces or to any kind of like uh, opportunity support content. So that's the second, my first priority. The second one of which is that I want to make incredibly clear. I want to know as soon as a, an article pillar or post gets to uh, an opportunity position. So an opportunity position for me is between about eighth and 30th position for a high volume search term. So high volume, 250 plus searches per month, uh, and eighth to 30th being like the kind of just off a traffic driving position position. Um, Traffic driving positions tend to be one through seven. Realistically, it's one through five, but let's call it one through seven. Um, so as soon as they get to one of those positions, I'm like, okay, this URL is doing well organically. The content on the page is great. It's linked well, fine. We published it four months ago, three months ago. 
Now let's go back in as soon as it gets to one of those positions and tweak it, update it, optimize it, make sure the images are beautiful because it hasn't had organic traffic yet. It's had promotional traffic, it's had social media traffic, it's had newsletter traffic, but it hasn't had organic traffic. As soon as it starts getting organic traffic, that's where the serious traffic comes in through SEO. That's when we're talking about thousands of visitors on, on, a, on a page. So I want to make sure that those thousand visitors have a really positive experience so that the, pay, the, the, the content itself, which I'm updating now, I increase word count, I add an FAQ, I make sure the imagery is beautiful and the custom images are, you know, I'm doing custom images. Um, I make sure that my brand is mentioned and exactly how I want it to be mentioned if I'm getting a thousand visitors to that URL, um, which I may not necessarily have done. I may not necessarily have invested that much energy and time into the initial creation of the content. But as soon as it gets to an opportunity position, then I want to dive into it. So this requires, all, all everything I'm talking about here requires you to be super on your analytic platform. You have to be super on it with all of these URLs that you've published to make sure um, that you are aware at all times of where they are. It's not least because, you know, in a year, if one of these URLs simply has not performed, sweet, I'm going to 301 redirect that one because it does have a couple backlinks. I'm going to do 301 to a pillar piece that it's kind of, that it was initially supporting and whatever link juice it does have, which is minimal because it's clearly not ranking at all. I'm going to take, I'm going to put it to, I'm going to give, I'm going to give it to my pillar. I'm going to give my other support piece of content to make that one rank. Um, so I want to be super conscious of this at all times and not just create content that just goes live and then goes into the abyss. That's really interesting. You covered a lot of things there. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, that was a lot. <laughs> no, no, it's actually really fascinating. And I've never understood the level of detail. So coming from the product world, the design world, um, and all the experiments we run with our clients in terms of gamification, it is all about iteration. And yeah. so it makes a lot of sense to me that uh, you're seeing how something performs before you really invest in it. Uh, so again, just to get specific, when you're sending out all this initial support content, are you using stock imagery, no imagery? What are kind of your best practices for the MVP version of, of the content? Yeah, I mean, the MVP version of the content is screenshots. It's, um, let me back up. You, you, you can't create subpar content initially at all. I'm not suggesting that. What I'm suggesting is that when we talk about the quantity versus quality conversation and content creation and content marketing, I am on the fence there because there has to be a foundation of good quality content, but it doesn't have to be excellent until it receives organic traffic. So do all the right things, but you could do stock images if you wanted, um, but I would recommend you do screenshots. Um, uh, you could do platform, you know, uh, shots as well if you have those. Um, you make sure that you have, you know, best practices from an SEO perspective. You have your meta descriptions, your meta titles, you have your H1s, H2s, and H3s that are clearly oriented around the primary key phrase. You're including semantic key phrases. You're optimizing the content with one of those tools that helps you do that, like phrase, market muse, um, uh, clear scope, whatever. Um, you're, you know, uh, making sure that your images are compressed so they're no more than 250 kilobytes or 500 kilobytes so the page load time is great. So you're doing all the right things initially. I'm not saying don't do those. What I'm saying is that scale content creation so that in order to create good quality content, um, it doesn't take you, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't cost an, earth and, uh, an arm and a leg and it doesn't take you 20 hours. So use software, use freelancers uh, who put the onus on the freelancers to follow the best practices, create a checklist that they have to take in order to, to, to deliver a piece of content and have and get paid for it. Then 
create content at scale, um, at quantity of good quality. When it gets to an opportunity position, dive back in and really invest in it. Do custom imagery. Take another look at your meta titles, your meta descriptions, and optimize them as much as they can be. Make sure that your internal linking from your other site, your other pages that are relevant, are linking to that URL. So throw some energy into it only when it gets to that position, and then throw serious energy and time and money at it. Because beforehand, it will get to a traffic, it will get just off a traffic position if it's good and it's optimized. It won't get to a kind of one through seven unless it's great. So only at you know only only optimize it when it's in one of those opportunity positions makes total sense i think uh for the the ux metaphors like it's got to be usable it's got to be intuitive but to get to that next level you know delightful it's a huge investment of extra time right and these are yeah. totally dependent on feature and and content but let's say the basic feature took 10 hours to design and it's usable and intuitive well that's a b plus right but to really make it amazing and something that clicks something that drives product growth, you know, that's going to be another 20, 30, 40 hours. So as you are reaching that level of that high grade, it's more and more time and energy. And when you're moving quickly and have different people involved in the process, like you mentioned freelancers, or maybe you just have an internal designer that's working on the images, every person you add to the mix slows the process down, right? Completely. And you want to keep things as streamlined as possible early on. So maybe the, the guide rail is create good content, like you said, B, B plus, and then when it's ready, you can go back and give it all the, that, uh, the TLC it deserves um, with extra people in the room and, and getting it polished up. But I, I really appreciate those insights. So we talked about Early Bird being a great client, a great collaboration. You know, I think if you work at all with agencies, you have a sense of what that is, but I think it's really important uh, to articulate and talk about because I would say most agency uh, relationships are not good. And when you run an agency, yeah. you have your kind of your top favorite clients that it's a dream to work with, and then you got the rest. And I think it's it's a two-sided conversation because agencies don't always uh, provide exactly what uh, you know customers need. And so there's learning to be done on both sides of the table. But from your perspective, what can a client do to be a great client? Or what do they need to understand about working with you? Or what are the misconceptions you run into? How can you start that collaboration off on the right foot? Because the collaboration has to last a long time and it has to be built on trust. So how do you build trust from square one? Or what do you think are the, the things you need to start building that trust? Um, it's a fantastic question. Uh, I'll try to answer both because I do think that there is, I think that I, I think I can, I can also provide some insight into what a good agency looks like. I hope because I've, I've, we've, we've done white label work. I've been in house working with agencies as well, but as far as what a good, you know, what, what my ICP is, um, or what my ideal company is, client is, it's somebody who understands why they're making the investment. It's not just a, um, in your, you know, it's not just like I've heard that UX is important. Let's hire a UX team. <laughs> Checking um, the box. I haven't is what I call that. really yeah. checked out why, but I, I, it's, it's a thing that I'm supposed to do as a enterprise SaaS. Whatever. And same with content. It's like SEO is important for marketing. Can you do SEO now, please? I'm not totally sure what the letters stand for. Um, <laughs> so you have to have a, you have to have somebody who has an understanding of the value of, of what you're doing. Otherwise, they're going to misunderstand the value of what you bring. 
and they're going to undervalue it usually. Um, secondly, so, so, so you need a, a client who has an understanding. You also need buy-in. Somebody who says, okay, I am bought into this um, for the long term. In, in, in your space, I, I'm not entirely sure, but from conversion-oriented perspective, for instance, um, it's, it's a different... If I'm redesigning your website and I can show that your, you know, uh, traffic to lead, you know, rate has increased by 22.4% because of the redesign. Fantastic. That's a win. I'm more in the place where like the results of the traffic we drive are going to be six months incoming, realistically, at least if they come. And also they're going to be super ephemeral because it's about brand awareness as much as, as, as it is lead conversion or, you know, tra traffic conversion. So the value of what we deliver is uh, eph ephemeral and, and weird, um, but also, you know, amazing because traffic is everything for businesses. So if I can drive traffic, it's it's also, it's like, you know, it's, it's the company needs to be bought into the idea that, okay, if we get traffic, we know what to do with it. So that's also kind of goes back to the understanding of, okay, why are we doing this and what are we doing with it when we get it? That's really important. I would also say that um, trust is absolutely massive, which is on both sides. It's that the agency needs to provide whatever the client needs to feel level of trust. Uh, when I first came to Codeless, for instance, we were a content production agency. So a clients would give us topics and we would execute their what they wanted us to create. When I came throughout three years ago, it was very important to me to bring a strategic component to it. Um, again, going back, I, I I want to be answerable, but it's yeah, I, I want to be um, I want to be able to own the success and the results that the client sees, and I can't own them. I can't retain them as a result of, of their success if I'm not responsible for the strategy that brought it about. So it was really important to me from a sales perspective, but also because I I, I am a, I am a content strategist to be able to, to, to bring that to, to the fore. And as a result, I need my clients to be bought into my strategy. So with Early Bird, it was me working my ass off to sell them on my own expertise in the space. And they say, okay, we're going to then give you six months. I think they actually said, we're going to give you nine months of, we're not going to talk to you about results trusting that you know what you're doing and we're going to pay you every month in order to get there. And that level of trust is um, far and few between in, in the agency space for sure. And understandably so. There's a lot of businesses who are like, well, I'm not going to you know, give you 25, 50 grand a month unless you're giving me results on a monthly basis. Um, so there's that trust component of it. So I would say those are primarily the prime. It's, it's, a, it's an understanding of what you're investing in and why. It's a level of uh, buy-in. And it's also a level of trust uh, that makes a great client. On the other side, um, there are a lot of we have like we have done white label work with agencies who talk the talk so damn well, and it's a thing. Agency talk, agency spiel that they give clients. It's it's as bad as it is in any industry. Because the salesperson will come and they'll get a prospect and they'll sell them on the value that the agency can bring. And then they're handed off to an AM who has a six-month contract and doesn't and has nine other clients and doesn't actually put the time and energy into deliver on what the salesperson promised. But they have their, you know, they made their profit in the first couple months after all of the faff of bringing on, you know, mess around with onboarding. They have their profit. Cool. If the person lasts six months, we're good. I'm happy with that. Um, so it's 
really upon the client to differentiate when they're talking to agencies about the difference between a sales spiel and somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. Um, and definitely within my space, because content production and content creation can be a massive waste of time, a huge astronomical waste of time and money. Um, because literally, you know, you can create content and I'm sure many of your listeners have, they create content that just goes into the abyss of Google and never gets a single eyeball on it. And they've spent whatever they've spent on every single piece of content. It can feel like you're, you know, um, chugging away at something that in the engine's not even in the car. Um, so, and that's why I am, I tend to be brutally honest with prospects. I say it's going to, if it works for you in your space because of how competitive your space is, it's going to take us a long time and you need to have a backlink in, uh, investment. Uh, if they're super B2C, I'll say we can do this. This is how it will work, but you may not get a positive ROI from really top of funnel long form blog content. So you need to be aware of that, that that's what our agency excels in. Um, and that may not necessarily be right for you. So I would recommend to anybody listening, to anybody who's, who's, who's looking into agencies, um, look for them to pause, to take pause. Look for agencies that only want to work with clients if the client is right for their agency. And that's how we, we, we say no to prospects on a monthly basis, because I don't feel confident that we're going to be able to deliver results for you. Um, I guess that's, it's not foolproof, but it's as good a kind of temperature tester as there is within our space. Work with agencies that want to work with you because they think they can deliver for you, not with agencies that want to work with you because you're going to give them a bunch of money every month. That's a, that's a good one. We said no a lot too. Um, and, uh, it's funny the, the agency world is interesting. Uh, you know, the, the bigger, the, you definitely, there's a threshold where you get what you pay for. You're not going to get great work for, for a cheap price, but there's a lot of crappy work for an expensive price. And so, uh, working through all that is, is tough. Uh, if you're shopping around for agencies, but yeah, I think people that are willing to say no to you is probably, uh, a good litmus test in that regard. So I'm curious, what are, you know, categories where you say, what are the things, the things that throw up red flags for you? Like, I'm not going to be able to deliver, uh, for this customer. We got to say no. Let me first talk about what we do well, and hopefully that'll inform why I say no. Um, we are, a SEO oriented We're a search oriented content production. Um, the strategies that I produce are strategies designed to drive ranking positions. We work very closely with the backlinking company as well. It's our sister, our sister company, Usurp. Um, uh, and we combine to create long-form blog content that ranks. Um, by definition, our goal is traffic and brand awareness. Um, as a result, I'm often saying no to clients whose only goal is bottom of funnel, bottom line affecting profit or revenue um, because that's not what blog content creation is about really uh, you can absolutely convert blog readers to sales um, but if you're getting a two percent conversion rate on an article to even lead uh, that's a win so those clients that come in saying, um, we only want to create bottom of funnel K 
case study oriented content that drives leads and sales. And if we don't convert 10% of our blog traffic, then we're not going to be happy. I say, okay, we'll have fantastic time with another agency. Um, I also say no to um, clients who want to create, who want to hire a copywriting agency because we don't do copy. The reason that we don't do copy is because inevitably there's a back and forth. You know, you, you know your brand better than my writers do. My writers are excellent. My writers are vertical experts. They're expensive. Um, they know their topic. But you know your brand better than they ever will. And as a result, if you want them to, to, to do copy creation for a feature page or a landing page or whatever product page, uh, we're going to, the total scope of that page shouldn't be, you know, the word count shouldn't be more than 500, 750 words tops on most, on most of those pages. Uh, so if you're bringing in a long form blog content creation agency to create that page, then I'm going to probably charge you around 2000 words worth of work for that page. Because the back and forth inherent in you saying, actually, our product doesn't work that way, or actually, I want you to use this phrase. It's like, by the end of you and I going back and forth on this, you're going to be frustrated that you didn't just write it yourself. And I want to be frustrated that you just didn't, you just didn't write it yourself, you know, that you just didn't write it. Um, so inevitably, if that's what they're coming for, I say no to copyright and oriented clients or prospects. Um, Again, it, the, the, the best clients are ones who understand the value of SEO, understand what they can do with blog traffic, have an understanding as well of how to convert blog traffic, which is entirely possible, but you need to optimize your site for it. Um, and then are, uh, you know, are, are aware that if you hire an agency, make sure that you um, ask them what they do ex excellently. And what we do excellently is develop content strategy that drives SEO growth through long-form blog content and links. That's, that's all. That's what we do. I don't do ads. I don't do social media. I don't do copy. We do that and we do it excellently. Um, and if that's not what you want, there are other excellent agencies out there that do that. <laughs> cool. No, that makes a lot of sense. Really speaking, uh, you know, sticking to that specialty. So when, just to jump back to the beginning, I want to make sure I get the tangibles out of some of the first stuff we talked about. So you have that three month period. We talked about yep. pillar pieces and supporting content. Is there a rough range of, you know, pieces that meet that good three threshold you should expect to be pushing out from, you know, a pillar and support perspective during that first three months? Yeah, for sure. I mean, ballpark, um, you should be publishing, uh, three to five pillars per category and 15 to 20 support pieces per category. Um, so if you do three categories of content, uh, I would recommend two of them be top of funnel and, and maybe middle of funnel oriented. So uh, if you're in the project management space, just for instance, your kind of pillar for one of your categories might be uh, project management software, which is actually a high intent search term. Um, but it might also be like, what is task management, which is a top of funnel search term. Um, both of those could be pillars if the search volume is there. Um, you're supporting those, sorry, so two of your categories or top and middle of funnel, one of your categories can be bottom of funnel content. That would be something like, well, I, I would actually say that like probably project management software, the intent there is a list of project management software that the person is going to choose one of the items in the list. Same with uh, best of topics, best project management software. Um, so those are kind of your, but like consider either on like two out of three categories or, you know, three out of five pillars, uh, consider not just the search volume, but also consider this is a pillar. This is a really vitally important article for me because of the intent behind the search term. 
that's why it's really important to me. But anyway, uh, three to five pillars per category, uh, three categories of content. And from my side, and this is kind of people disagree with me on this, I say do all the categories at the same time because I'm going back in so carefully on a three-month basis and six-month basis to make sure that to, 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 to be very conscious of which category is working. After the three-month period, one of your categories naturally is likely to click with Google more than the other ones. As a result, I want to double down on that category in months four, five, and six. And by the end of that sixth month, um, one of my other categories may be kind of taking over now, especially because I've kept linking to it internally from relevant content within the you know, category one. Um, and maybe that's ticking over now. And so I double down on that category in months, you know, seven, eight, nine. Um, and then, you know, in the final quarter of the month or whatever it is, I'm publishing all content again uh, for all the categories. Or maybe I've, 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 I've kind of toned down my production of, of category one content because I'm now doubling down in category two. Um, but in order for me to, you know, get one of those categories to, you know, feel in any way confident statistically or not that one of my categories is clicking with Google, I need to be producing content for all three of them at the same time, which also means I need to be producing a significant volume of content at any given time. I'm saying at least eight pieces of content a month, um, 16,000 words worth of work every single month, if not 20, would be my recommendation. In the first couple of months, your pillars should probably be longer form. There's a correlative, you know, uh, thing where long form content gets, seems to rank better than short form content. It's because it's not because of the length. It's because of the stuff that length can contain. Um, but even so, uh, publish more content in the first couple months while you're producing your pillars, uh, word count wise, and then you can step it down a little bit, but you'd still be publishing around eight articles per month for the first six to nine months of content production. Um, and then if necessary, uh, you could tone it down, but I wouldn't go below four um, ever. <laughs> and if you have the bandwidth, do 40, you know, genuinely do 40 because, because it's about iteration. It's about testing this. It's about seeing what clicks and when it does, doubling down on it and having, a, having, a more, having more confidence that what I produce, if I'm doing 40,000 words, but I know that the right 40, do 80, you know, um, it's, 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 it's the same with, it's, it's like PPC. Like if I have an ad campaign that is driving a, you know, 150% ROI or whatever it is, then we should be getting a bank loan. What, like, what are we talking about? If I have a positive ROI from PPC, I should be selling, I should be remortgaging my house immediately because that's a positive return on my investment, which is driving growth. So why are we messing around with this? If you know that something's working for you from an SEO perspective, it's just as valid as, valid as doubling down on, on a PPC campaign. That is really helpful. Those specific numbers mean a lot. And the consistency, like anything else, is probably number one, right? Just keep going. So um, curious about, you know, thinking about having you on the Enterprise Eyeballs podcast, where we talk about the fun and funky things that you can do even at enterprise scale, B2B. We work with a lot of, of tech. It gets very dry, very boring. Uh, you know, we've seen all sorts of fun ideas to punch things up. When we talk about humanizing uh, content, what does that mean to you? Or what have you seen that has stood out to you? Something that uh, might be working now that wasn't working before or things that have genuinely caught people's eye um, in a big way that you didn't expect? I have to talk about video. I know it's cliche now, uh, definitely in the content space. 
I wrote an article in 2014 when I was in-house at a, at a SaaS company in, in Vancouver uh, called Why Video is the Next Big Thing. Um, I wrote it in 2014. I wasn't wrong then. <laughs> Still not wrong now. Uh, video is the next big thing. Um, uh, we recently um, kind of stole slash hired uh, an excellent uh, head of video. Because uh, though we don't necessarily yet have the clients who were totally bought in on it, we know that video content is um, a huge uh, component of marketing success in the next 10 years. Um, And we have trialed it with a few of our clients. And what's interesting is that it's not just excellent for humanizing. um, Well, let's first talk about that. It is excellent for humanizing your brand. It puts a face on content, which, as you say, can often be dry. Even when you add tone and fun and cuss words and images or whatever color to long-form blog content, it's still 2,000 damn words of (laughs) just you know education uh which takes 12 minutes to read um adding a 30 second introductory video to those articles just with somebody saying hey this is uh james uh this article is just basically covering you know um how i build a content strategy from scratch Uh, you're gonna get some actionable takeaways here um if you want to know more about how this all comes together like feel free to like reach out in the combat section and i'll be happy to answer it um but you know to get the comprehensive guide read on have that be you know a little packaged introductory at the top we've done that we've seen that it increases time on page it reduces bounce rates uh it increases scroll depth um it and as a result of all those things all those things being user experience factors within seo bounce rate time on page uh you know click depth or scroll depth um it increases uh, ranking positions. So over the course of uh, um, 23 articles that we added those on um, within existing content of one of our clients, we increased ranking position by 122% across the board on average. Some of them less so, some of them more. But in general, if something was in eighth position, it went to third. Let's just say 122% ranking increase on average across those 22 pieces of content. Um, now, I'll, I will give the caveat that this was a broken multivariate test where that was not the only thing that we updated sure. within those articles. However, um, that was the biggest uh, you know, uh, factor that we played around with within the optimization of those pieces. I would say as well, even just taking the SEO side of things out of it, there is value in your prospect seeing your face. It makes it far harder for them to say no. We know this psychologically. You know, There's psychology behind marketing, psychology behind sales. Um, uh, you know, a, a face has impact, period. Um, so show your face, show your voice, talk to people, show that you're friendly, show that you're charismatic, um, show not show as well that you are confident in your subject matter. So if you're doing long form expertise oriented blog content, uh, you know, prove to the reader before they even start that you know what you're talking about. Don't say, here's my resume, here is my, you know, but you know, um, be well-spoken, be eloquent, be friendly. Also, I'll say as well, and I'm sure you're extremely aware of this and everybody on the site as well. Bad video is worse than no video at all. If you're only going to produce video that is low quality, has low, especially with audio, audio and video, if the resolution is going to be poor and the audio is going to sound bad, do not do video at all. It is far worse to do bad quality video than no video at all. Uh, invest in a 
legitimate DSLR, invest in a mic, um, invest in a lapel mic if you're doing stand-up, invest in a ring cam- a light, invest in a green screen, um, or a room that has a colorful wall with a plant, you know, whatever <laughs> it is. Uh, put the energy in, in order to produce great quality video, otherwise do not create video. Um, but if you do do all of those things, which I recognize is, is, is a significant investment um, because video is expensive, but uh, it's getting less expensive, not least because, you know, the quality of cameras and whatever and the cost of mics is, is going down. Um, editing software is more attainable. You can get somebody on Fiverr to do great editing. Um, it is It is worth it from not just a humanizing your brand perspective, but also from a um, results-oriented SEO perspective. Very interesting. And, you know, thinking about, I've, I haven't seen that little introductory video clip. That's something I'm really curious about, but I think it goes back to the beginning of our conversation where you want to work with people that understand the value of what you do and they're not just checking the SEO box. Well, I think that's something you're probably getting from that video introduction, right? I go on these, uh, websites, any enterprise, you know, has tens of thousands of pages. Um, and a lot of it is so dry and so crappy. And I'm like, do they even know this exists? right? Like you said, it gets published into the ether. Well, if there's a 15 second clip of a real person saying, Hey, I'm really proud of this stuff in this piece. All of a sudden my trust goes way up. It's like, Oh, they know this exists. Not only are they not just checking a box, but they care about this message and they care about, uh, you know, the story that's being told here. So I, there are those, you know, that's a subtle thing, but it's extremely powerful because as we absorb information faster and faster and faster, you know better than anyone else probably how quick bad bounce rates are, right? It's like we are processing what is on a page before we can even comprehend what it is. And so there are visual things that uh, are going to indicate a higher level of trust um, and get a guide someone to spend more time on the page. And I think at the core of that is that little switch we all flip in our head of like, is this worth my time? Is it real or is it not? And uh, yeah. and I bet that that little video just helps uh, nudge the this is worth my time switch for a lot of people. And the last thing I'll say on it is that um, I talked before about the idea of optimization of content and coming into your content only when it's in seventh to or you know, eighth to thirtieth position to dive into it. Um, the the biggest um, gap that I see in the content space for a lot of enterprise and SMB, but enterprise businesses, uh, because you have so much content, is not uh, capitalizing on the incredibly low-hanging fruit that is your existing content. Being extremely conscious to go back into what is almost ranking the traffic driving position or is doing relatively well organically and reinvesting in that content instead of net new um, is the biggest gap that I see within the space. Um, so not just in like, and, and adding a video to those articles, um, not just the ones, you know, the Pareto principle is very valid within SEO, which is that, um, you know, 80% of your traffic comes from 20% of your investment. Totally valid. So make sure that that 20% is, is excellent um, because it's already receiving traffic and add video to it. But also consider optimizing those just off URLs, existing content. Uh, video at the top of them and all the things that I've talked about from a best practice perspective to make them just that little bit more excellent. Um, that is uh, that is something that we've started doing in the past year or so is not just producing net new content, but also developing a really comprehensive process for optimization of existing 
How do we scope those? What is involved in that work? What tools do we use to make it happen? Um, and for a lot of our clients, they see more straightforward, quick return from capitalizing on that low-hanging fruit than on what is inevitably a long-form process, a long a long-term process of uh, search-oriented long long-form content, um, net new. Uh, so I would definitely urge people to dive back into their existing site analytics and take a look at what you have uh, as much as consider a uh, content strategy with intention, a, a new, a net new content strategy with intention, because both are um, are really valuable, easy ways to drive significant traffic. That's probably the only place in our conversation I can add my two cents uh, on SEO. I can just... Uh give you a, give you a thumbs up a plus one because we had a high performing page on our website describes how to play sales poker with your team um, that was performing and ranking when people were looking for games to play with their sales team well we went back re-optimized that page uh, so it's not only sales poker but sales poker at scale and with our incentive pilot platform and it's generating leads so uh again my, that's about as as far as my experience and success has gone with seo but i can 100 percent attest to going back looking at what's working and then revisiting those things to work for you so that's some great advice absolutely Cool. Well, we are on in the technology world. You want to spend a couple minutes telling us about your tech stack or what you recommend for people getting started? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I'll run you through it. Um, so I, <clears throat> my SEO world, I, I live in Ahrefs, um, which is an incredibly valuable tool to understand where you're currently ranking um, and also what your competitors are doing. So from an ideation perspective, but also an, an analytics perspective, it's it's everything for me. Um, from a content production process, a creation perspective, uh, in order to scale a content team, um, and do, do high volumes of content, particularly in the enterprise space, you need to have a comprehensive process for doing it. And my, my recommendation would be to use freelance writers, um, because they are more affordable and you can also put the onus on them to deliver a certain quality of content that ticks all these boxes and have that be part of their delivery process. Uh, you have in-house editors, um, but freelance writers, um, they, the production process is managed within a project management tool. We use ClickUp. Um, we use, we've used PipeFee in the past. We've used Monday.com in the past. Uh, we are currently using ClickUp. Notion's great. Asana's great. Trello's great. They're all fine. We use ClickUp. Um, we use for search optimization, we use a tool called Phrase, uh, which basically compares your drafted content against the top 20 ranking positions for any given key phrase and says, here's what the top 20 are doing. Here's what they're including. Here's what you're missing that they have. Uh, so that's a tool called Phrase. We've also used ClearScope in the past, which is also good. Phrase is, is uh, again, really good for um, freelance-oriented content production teams because you can uh, pay per user and then, ex and then export a free version of the kind of analysis to your freelance writer. And they can just say, I've ticked my box, and you can check that they've done so without having to pay uh, for 100 you know, different seats, essentially. Um, it's also good for small businesses because of that reason as well. Um, but yeah, uh, Phrase is the one we use, but we've used Market Muse and ClearScope uh, in the past. Um, we use Grammarly. The editors use Grammarly. The writers use a tool called writer.com. Writer.com allows you to actually import a style guideline into, its, into the platform, and it compares how you've written against that style guideline. So if you say, I want Oxford commas over M dashes 
it will mark when they haven't done that and the writers can tick that box as well. Um, we use a tool called AutoCrit to do plagiarism checking on all content to make sure that there's no plagiarism whatsoever in anything we, we, we deliver. Um, we deliver via ClickUp, but also everything is done within Google Docs. Um, we use, of course, Loom to film support videos for our writers and our editors to tell them this is what the client's looking for. The client films uh, stuff within Loom as well, giving feedback on content. Um, what else is there? I mean, I we when you you know we're we're, we're Zoom people as well. We're Zoom and Slack people as well uh, as we are we all. But I would say the primary platforms that I recommend people play around with are a good SEO oriented tool. Ahrefs is, is, is my top and then a project management tool like ClickUp and then a check your work tool like Phrase. Those are my three, my, my three babies for sure. Yeah. Phrase sounds interesting. I'm going to check that one out for sure. I yeah. use Grammarly as well. F-R-A-S-E dot I-O. It's, it's an F, not, not a P-H. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, then Grammarly will pop up when I type that in. <laughs> um, cool. Well, clearly you could, you got a ton to offer folks. Uh, in content strategy and, and SEO. We're going to get your contact info at the end of the episode here. But before we do, we got to see how good you are at tap to flap. Are you ready to play <sighs> yeah. for one minute? You warned me about this. For the uh, right. torture portion of our episode. So I'm going to set the timer for a minute. We're going to let you uh, play. If you happen to be flapping at the end of the minute, we're going to let you run, see how high your score can go. But uh, if you hit all a game right. over, just click and it'll resettle automatically record your high score. Okay, all right, here we go. All right, James, whenever you're ready, I'm gonna start the clock, so get clicking. All right, three, two, one, here we go. Oh, on the first Ooh, Okay, run. I gotta double click to move it up and down. All right, here we go. Oh my gosh, you probably might be the quickest study we've had. This five. is intense. Why was it so intense? It is highly addictive. Okay, you got 30 seconds left. All right. Okay. into your flow. Oh, man. All right, you got five seconds. Get started on another run. Oh, All right. Okay, that's like your six, minute. I think. Yeah, six. You were right in all the right, middle I'll of the... All right, I'll take six. Yeah, not bad at all. You were right in the middle of uh, the leaderboard. Uh, okay. So, but we appreciate you playing. Well done. All right. Well, that was uh, more stressful than anything I've done on the podcast in a long time, Andrew. <laughs> That's what we strive. We strive for our guests to have a you know a high level of discomfort. Uh, you know, always, always best practice for uh, the the new people you meet. But yeah, James, memorable. thank you so much for coming on the show. And thanks for getting into the specifics. You know, I really feel passionately about giving people actionable things to at least start getting a sense of where to get started, right? Because so much content is at that high level and it's helpful. But when you're trying to start something new tomorrow, it's not helpful. You know, you really need to have a sanity check on the, on that stuff. So I appreciate you guys, you know, giving me a, a peek behind the curtain uh, at, at the world you, you operate in. So if people want to get in touch, want your help, uh, or want the, you know, get your thoughts, 
Um, what's the best way to find you online? I mean, honestly, uh, James at codeless.io is my email address. And I love talking about this stuff, as you can tell. So I'm happy to get and have a conversation. Um, the site's codeless.io. You can kind of, you know, book a call with somebody there as well. I'm, which I'm, if you say, hey, can James be on it? I can jump on. Um, I'm on Twitter at JD Shear or on LinkedIn at James Shear, S-C-H-E-R-E-R. I'm around. I'm, I'm all over. Cool. Well, thank you again for coming on the show and have a fantastic weekend. Thank you so much, Andrew. Cheers.